The nail in the coffin! Welcome to the Nail in the Coffin. It's episode number 88. We are recording on Wednesday night. Ohio State football kicks off on Thursday night at Indiana, and uh, the proposed renovations at Quicken Loans Arena are apparently uh, dead on arrival now. But, uh, Trav, I want to get started with the Browns here. Kind of a busy day over in Berea. Yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty chaotic. I'm not sure what world I live in where you can get something for Cam Irving, but you can't get anything for Joe Hayden. Uh, I'm not sure I trust that world, but the NFL is kind of weird, so... Yeah, there's rarely a boring day in Berea, but even by Brown standards, today kind of had me scratching my head. So I got the uh, the text message this morning as I was driving into work that they had uh, they'd cut Joe Hayden, and uh, I, I guess we probably should have seen this coming, just because uh, you know we had heard yesterday, I think it was that they were aggressively shopping him, trying to find a trade partner uh, for him. And um, even before that, I think it was a couple days ago, Jim Donovan was uh, being interviewed on 92.3, and he called Joe Hayden the third best cornerback on the team. And, you know, obviously Jim Donovan's the sports director for Channel 3, but he's also the voice of the Browns on their radio network. So I'm guessing, I don't know this for a fact, but I'm guessing he probably knows some things and has extra access to certain uh uh, information uh, within the building out there. And if he's coming out and saying that Joe Hayden's the third best quarterback on the team, that probably is a tell that he wasn't going to be in their plans for this year. Yeah, it's funny, though. Uh, <laughs> like clockwork yesterday, um, not- notable Cleveland Browns insider Tony Grossi, when asked, is it possible that Hayden could be cut without without uh, if the trade talks fizzle out and they can't find a a partner. Could Joe be uh, released? He said absolutely not. Whoops. Uh, So, uh, yeah, the the insider title is used very liberally these days, apparently, Um, which is neither here nor there. It's just one of the sort of funny things when you look back on it. You're like, yeah, this didn't age well. No, Um, he needs some Jobies. (laughs) There's another good zinger about that today on the radio, but I'm not going to not going to get into that. Um, So it was I think it probably caught everyone a little off guard because on the surface, if this was a team that was pretty, pretty well established, right, had some vets, was in pretty good shape in general and sort of maybe right up against the salary cap. It's one of those moves that can make sense. Right. Because. It's, you know, he's, he's a guy who hasn't really played up to his salary. He's not worth $11 million. I think there's universal agreement on that front. But if you're the Browns, money's not really a big object. So if he's a guy who can be on the field, can help you at all, and in general, he seems like he's been sort of the consummate professional, um, both in the locker room, uh, in front of the camera, in the community, all that sort of shit. Um, he's sort of been a model citizen. So from that front, it doesn't really make a ton of sense, especially because they were going to have to pay him, I think, $4 million no matter what. All right. So here's the thing. Do we know, did he, is there a chance that he asked for this? 
Um, the the rumor that's floating around and what everybody seems to be saying, and this is, and this makes a lot of sense, is the Browns asked him to restructure. He figured out in talking with his agent that if you don't restructure, you're going to be released essentially, and we can get that money back from someone else, and you can basically pick where you want to play. So it's either a he he you know called the Browns on it said no I'm not going to restructure if you want to release me release me and I'll go play somewhere else or in talking to the Browns they they determined maybe now is the best time for both parties if he just you know goes on his way and finds a team that's a little better fit for him so I, I doubt he demanded anything um, because he wasn't really in a position to demand anything um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he if this didn't catch him off guard today if he was if he saw this coming the scenario that you laid out there, though, just talking about, um, you know, them asking him to restructure, that, that could make some sense. And just everything related to that. Because See, if this you, is... you, 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 I'll stop you right there. You say it makes sense, but if he only had a deal left on his contract, a year left on his contract, um, wouldn't the Browns just want to kind of get it over with? Or extend him? Like, why would you restructure one year of a deal? Unless you're just going to take a pay cut, and what's the point of that? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the the point I was making and, and where I was going with this is if it was something related to just structuring his his deal, um, I mean, whether you think it makes sense in the grand scheme of things or not, I, I guess that's certainly a valid discussion, but I, I don't see any way, shape, or form that this is a football move. It's not like you're bringing in somebody to replace him who is conceivably a better player. Um, I'm not totally convinced that he is going to be a, a great player for the Steelers. Um, and we could certainly get into the fact that, you know, about eight less than eight hours after he was released, he was apparently uh, come to terms with the deal with the Steelers. But, um, I, I mean, I just... I, I, it just struck me as odd, like from a football perspective, it doesn't seem like there's any harm with keeping him on the roster this year. Um, I can agree with that. I mean, he might not have been the, the best or the second best uh, corner on the team. By all accounts, it seemed like um, McCordy was out playing him this year, in camp so far this year. Um, but you got to think he's not he was good enough to make the roster, right? I mean, there's probably universal agreement on that sure. front. Um, how much he could help you? I don't know. But if you're the Browns and you're pinching pennies, um, you gotta, you gotta spend some money somewhere. Um, a guy that's given them as much as Joe Hayden's given them in, in most fronts. I just, I don't, I don't really see the point of the move unless it was one of those things where he was like, Hey, you know, I, I wouldn't mind, if you guys wanted to save some money and I could go catch on somewhere else, it's got a little bit chance, a little bit better chance to be good right now. I wouldn't be opposed to that. And yeah, they say, you know, that works for us too. Okay. Yeah. If, he's, so, if he knows then, he's going to have some sort of a reduced role here, like, okay, so maybe he's not the best cornerback on the team this year. And there's other guys that they want to play ahead of him. Obviously he he'd still be able to contribute, but if he feels like, well, if I'm not either a, I have a better shot of, um, playing a role that I think I deserve elsewhere, or B, if I'm not even going to be a, a top cornerback on my team, at least let me go to a contender. I'd rather be 
the second or third best cornerback on a contender than the second or third best cornerback on the Browns. Yeah, the one thing I don't get, and it might just be that they never called the Steelers, but the deal that he got with the Steelers is much more money than he had remaining on his Browns deal. All right. So if the Steelers wanted him, wouldn't they give something to guarantee that they got him? You know, like even like a fourth or fifth round pick. Okay. Here's the thing with that. The NFL is notorious. How many times contracts aren't the money doesn't matter. It doesn't. I I understand. There is no chance in hell. So what did he sign for today? Allegedly three years, three years, 27 million, seven million. Those are the numbers. Seven million. Um, and so, yeah, it goes up a little bit over that. So, yeah. It's you have as good of a chance of seeing $27 million over the next three years as he does. Okay. okay, That's fair. And I don't disagree with that. But the fact of the matter is with the signing bonus he's already getting from the Browns, if if the Browns say, hey, if we're going to release him, we're going to we're going to have to pay that anyways. Um, You could then send him to the Steelers. The Steelers would then only have to cover what they're paying him anyways. They'd only have to pay that $7 million anyways um, to get him up to where he was or what he was going to make with the Browns, and they guarantee that they get him. If they really wanted him, like if he's a guy that you know they're willing to take a risk on and see if it works, what's the harm in, in you know throwing something out there to make sure you get him? They really chanced it. Now, there's obviously always the chance that, A, the Browns didn't even want to talk to the Steelers because they didn't want to move him in the, in the division, or B, the Steelers knew they could get him anyway, so they didn't give a shit. Yeah, I it mean, possible. but when people are like, "Oh, no one was willing to give give him that much because he's making that much money," bullshit. Teams are paying him that much anyways. The Steelers are paying him as much as the Brown- as they would have had to pay him anyways. I, yeah, see, that's the thing where I'm I'm gonna just admit flat out that I don't entirely understand how the NFL salary cap works on this because what I had read either yesterday or this morning shortly after that news broke was that there was only like two or three teams that had the money under the cap to be able to even negotiate a trade with him. And the Pittsburgh was not one of them. So I don't know if like the way they went about doing this counts less money against their cap or what, but they had their reasons and it all worked out for them in the end. But I mean, they're Pittsburgh. So I guess that's just kind of how things go, but that's, yeah, that's general, general um, way things go. They've now taken, it's funny though. The Steelers were willing to give us something for uh, Justin Gilbert, <laughs> but, but not for Joe Hayden. Equally as outrageous as somebody was willing to give us something for Cameron Irving. Yeah. What the hell is that about? Like, uh, I understand tackles a position in need and, it's hard to stock up an offensive line and all these things. I, He's horrible. You know what, though? Here's the thing with that. If it doesn't pan out with him, they know that they've got a very reliable turnstile that they can install at Arrowhead Stadium. <laughs> but if nothing else, we have some new security hardware for the entrance. There you go. He Just let him in, man. Just pinwheel that arm around and let him in. That's... He is a bum. Um, yeah, like, I, I would have been fine. Like, I was hearing they were going to release him, and I would have been totally fine with that. Right. Um, the fact they were able to get anything for him, uh, great job. I mean, the, <laughs> some, you know, if, if, if you would have told me today, at the end of the day, the Browns would have been without Joe Hayden and Cameron Irving, and one of them was traded, and they got a fifth rounder for him, and the other guy was cut. On the surface, that all is like, yep, I could buy into all that. The fact that it was 
Hayden that got cut and Cam Irving that lands you a fifth rounder is just, um, it is what it is, I guess. Yeah, I'm. Who cares? It's, it's, honestly, it's not something worth talking about because I didn't think he was going to be here, anyways. Probably not. Um, um, so they got something for him. Great. Uh, good luck to the kid. I mean, it seems like a seems like a good guy, just not a very good football player. No. At least he wasn't here. Two two things left. I want to say about this. Number one, um, Joe Hayden. I mean, a lot of injuries, especially in the last few years, and uh, maybe didn't always quite play up to his full potential that we saw earlier in his career. Um, down the, down the stretch and that maybe made him expendable here. But uh, I give him credit. He was uh, definitely all in on Cleveland. He was somebody that you could count on seeing courtside at Cavs games in a full Cavs uniform with an Anderson Verizal wig on back before LeBron uh, came back to the Cavs and it wasn't really cool to cheer for the Cavs. Uh, he was a regular around the community. Um and, you know, when, when the Browns let him go, I thought they did a nice job of, of thanking him on social media. I, I guess the thank you video for Cam Irving got left on, uh, saved in somebody's drafts, but um, they uh, they did a nice job of sending off Joe Hayden. And uh, from that perspective, it, it is kind of a downer. I mean, maybe it was time to move on from him, but uh, I, I will say he was a good dude. And, um, yeah. It's funny you mentioned Anderson Verjao because it kind of felt a little bit like when the Cavs traded Verjao, um a couple of years ago when you're like, yeah, this guy might not have had a whole lot left in the tank, but he seemed like a guy that even when the, when they were pretty low, he loved being here and he was a, you know, pretty big fan of Cleveland and those aren't always easy to find. So from that respect, yeah, Joe Hayden was a, a good, good citizen, good guy to have around, um, seemed to do a lot, seemed to really embrace and, and, and enjoy being in Cleveland. So from well, that respect, yeah, I'm with you. I'll drag, I'll, I'll, take that out a step further you know Andy Verjao went to the Warriors and he was the mole that uh, submarined them the year the Cavs won the title so maybe this is what's going to help the Steelers implode from within yeah you didn't go a step further and talk about Cleveland winning the title on that front did you nope 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 (laughs) not gonna get too crazy here (laughs) I'm drinking water tonight not a fifth of whiskey um I hear you I hear you but uh, no the last thing I wanted to say is with getting the the draft pick in exchange for Cam Irving. The Browns now have 13 picks in next year's draft, including five picks in the first two rounds. They've got some glaring needs on their roster here and now, particularly at wide receiver. Do you expect them to try to package a couple of these picks and maybe make a trade here before the start of the regular season and bring in somebody else who can help them now or possibly try to package some of those picks together during the draft and and do something? Because I just I can't imagine a scenario where they want to bring in 13 more drafted rookies next spring. I'll be honest with you. I have a hell of a time predicting what teams are going to do in trades in the NFL. Um so what do I expect them to do? I have no damn clue. Um, I would like to see them do something like that. I think that would make sense. Um, I don't honestly haven't followed a ton outside of the Browns in terms of, you know, guys that are on the block. I think I've heard the name Jarvis Landry thrown around. Um, so yeah, if they wanted to go and improve the wide receivers, I think this one thing this preseason has shown us is that they des- super, uh, desperately need help at the wide receiver position. Uh, Kenny Britt has not looked like a guy that's going to come in and be anywhere near. I don't even know if he could be a a number two receiver. Um, So they, yeah, that's, that's clearly their, their biggest position of need outside of quarterback, obviously. Um, 
so we'll see. We'll see. Um, they definitely have the capital to do it if they want to. All right. Anything else on the Browns before we move along? Um, just the thing that bothers me the most about this Cam Irving thing, you can't strike out on first round picks for like offensive linemen. I get it. Quarterbacks aren't always good. And there's a lot of positions that seem like, you know, they can kind of be hit or miss in the first round and the, and the odds aren't always good. If you're taking a, a, a an offensive lineman in the first round, he's got to be one of those guys that's on your on your line for a long time, or it sets you back. And I think we've we saw that almost immediately with him, and it didn't get any better last year. Yeah, I mean, not every single guy you draft for the offensive line in the first round is going to be Joe Thomas, but but also, if he can be a serviceable like guard. You, you or could be field. Alex Mack. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and that's I think that's sort of what they thought he was going to be when they drafted him because they knew they were probably going to lose Mac in the near future. Um, and the weird thing was they seemed set on trying him at tackle, even though in college he was a guard and a center. Um, so I don't know exactly what the logic was there, um, considering tackle is noticeably harder than at least on the guard position. I know the center position has its own intricacies and whatnot, but. I, I don't know. I, I always question the way that they handled him and the the strategy they had for for using him. But whatever. I guess he, he's gone now, so it doesn't really matter what their strategy was. Well, speaking of strategies, uh, I would like to talk about the Cavs' strategy for trying to push through their plans to renovate Quicken Loans Arena. Um, we found out uh, earlier this week that those plans have been scrapped indefinitely now because uh, what had been uh, something that was going to get funding partially from the city, partially from the team, and it was going to be able to get done without a vote by the public. Uh, There was a referendum, got the necessary signatures, the state Supreme Court upheld it, and it was going to have to go to a special vote early next year. And Cavs basically said, we have no interest in that. You've thrown off our timeline. We're taking our ball and going home. I have a lot of opinions on this, but I want to give you a first crack at it. What did you think when you found out the news that this deal was toast? Um, well, you know my feelings on a certain individual in, in the city of Cleveland um, who also happens to own the Cavaliers. It didn't surprise me at all because I think personally, I think he has a pretty well-established track record of saying things to try and get his way. And at some point, regardless of whether he gets his way or not, going back on those things um, and doing what's in his best interest or regardless of what he said he was going to do. So it didn't surprise me in the least from that standpoint. Um, I think we're kind of in agreement that we were underwhelmed by the uh, proposed changes to the the arena. Yes. Um, So from that front, I don't. I thought it would be nice. I thought it'd be a decent improvement and, and great. You want to invest in the arena. Okay. Um, and if we're being honest here, I don't, I don't have a great deal of uh, experience or knowledge analyzing like these, you know, these municipality deals in terms of taxpayer money, paying for stuff like arenas and all this stuff, like it t- determining what, you know, whether it's a good idea. That's, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. In some cases it is. In some cases it, is, it isn't. I don't know what's what. Um, but I honestly never really – I never really trust Dan Gilbert. 
So when he tells me like, hey, this is going to be great, blah, 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 I don't really trust him. So from that standpoint, I don't I don't have a big problem with it. And when someone says, hey, we just think, you know, maybe people should be able to look at this and determine whether it's a good idea. And I says, all right, well, in that case, I'm not I'm out. That's yeah, it was pretty telling right that thing. he didn't right. have the confidence to take this to a public vote. Um, but no, what, what you said about the actual renovation plans, I, the vast majority of the conversation around this whole deal has been who's footing the bill. How much is it going to cost the city? How much is the team willing to contribute? And it was all about the money. And to be fair, that is completely legitimate. I I totally understand why that conversation needs to be had, and I'm glad it, it was had. Um, but I feel like something that has been kind of looked over in all of this is what you said, what the actual planned renovations were. So we, we got this message that, well, the Q is now one of the older buildings in the league. It needs to be renovated so it can stay, it, it can keep pace with, you know, we can keep up with the Joneses around the league or whatever. Um, I felt like what they were actually planning, what we were told about it and what we were shown on the project website, and you can still see it. I think they have like an old version of it still up. You can go through uh, the Q transformation.com. You can see this. I, I just, from what they showed of it on there, I really didn't understand what they were going for with it. And the presentation that they made on there left a lot to be desired. Um, basically the gist of that project was going to be two things. They were building a big atrium along what is, I guess, the north side of the arena. And then they were going to remove some seats in the ends of the upper deck to build some new concourses with, I think, some new food options. Um, so the atrium part of this was sold on the idea that they're, are all these big lines waiting to get into the building now? Uh, and, and people are stuck waiting outside and the weather's bad and this, that, and the other. And I've never had to wait more than five minutes outside to get into a Cavs game, if that. I've had some, I've had some pretty, I've had some 15 minute waits to get in, but. Okay. Well, that, even I mean, if you have, how does the atrium on that side fix the entrances no walks on the other side? No one walks. If so, if you're having a hard time picturing which side we're talking about, this is facing the water, right? This is the side about? away from Progressive Field. Yeah. So on the main road, um, is it facing the parking garage or is it facing like the river? Um, there, there's you know, that. About the there's that big garage. surface lot, and you can see. Uh, uh, what is that? Huron, I think that's that just got paved over last year. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's not the side of the stadium that I'll be honest. I don't know that there is any side that you could put something in that would drastically improve that. Right. Which kind of leads me into the second thing of they, they, they sold this giant atrium that they were building is creating a dramatic entrance into the city when you're coming into downtown that atrium that they wanted to build was going to be on a side of the building that faces no major highways entering into the city. So that whole thing was just marketing bullshit um, that really annoyed me. And speaking of marketing bullshit, the other thing they cited was a lack of street activation around the arena, which 
I don't know. It's got a bit of a uh, maybe. I'm just snake oil feel to it. I I just I I want to ask you how many times have you been walking up to the queue, whether it was for a Cavs game or a concert or anything else, and said, "This place is pretty nice, but I'm not. I don't see enough street activation around here. Who the hell talks like that?" I really wish someone would activate these streets for me. Um, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, it, it seemed like they threw a bunch of things out there to try and, like, kind of go over people's heads and, and other, make them just think this was a good idea. Well, and the other thing, so it, go look at all the pictures. We never actually saw a picture inside the seating bowl other than, like, one that kind of shows this concourse that they were going to build in the one upper end i think it was hard to tell based on the the picture but clearly it looked like some seats were being removed and what bothers me about that is if it's where i think it is because they're kind of vague in describing it uh, you're removing the most affordable seats in the arena so you're pricing out a bunch of fans who maybe that's the only place they can afford to sit for games um, and a lot of times I think those areas are tarped off for smaller events anyway. Uh, so I, I thought that was kind of disappointing. And, you know, when you go to a game or any other thing there, you're spending 95% of your experience or your visit in the seating bowl. And we got like no clear picture of what that was going to look like. So again, I felt like that was really kind of, um, I don't know if misleading is the right word, but uh, incomplete in the presentation trying to sell me on this. And the other thing, so we, we were told that with this deal, it was going to extend the lease out to 2034 rather than 2027, which is when it ends now. So I'm led to believe at this point that with this not going through, the Cavs are going to push for a new arena altogether in 2027. Had this actually gone through, they would have pushed for a new arena in 2034. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind they would have been doing that. And you're ba- uh, so, I mean, this idea that it's going to cost the city all this money, you're basically, you know, do you pay $240 million now? Uh, and by the way, I get that number from, you know, allegedly this project was going to be $140 million. city was going to be on the hook for 70 uh, The financing on that, I think it was going to be like municipal bonds or whatever. It was going to end up total with interest and whatnot, end up costing the city $240 million. So you're going to have a $240 million payment to get this done, which seven years later, you're going to have to be building an arena anyway. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, do you pay $30 million a year essentially for, for seven extra years um, just to be where you'd be at anyways? I'm with you. I think if you're going to do it, if you're dead set on, uh, building a new stadium, which in my assumption is that Gilbert's going to sell the team before then. I doubt he owns the team in 11 years. Um, I agree. My hunch is he sells the team by then, and the new owner is going to essentially say, well, I need a new arena, or he'll probably hold it over their head and say, if you don't get me a new arena, I'll go to Seattle or Las Vegas or wherever, because um, they'll give me one. And he might have some validity to that, but the fact of the matter is, if, you know, if everything the Cavs are doing is operating on the idea that they're going to get a new arena soon, then why would you go ahead and do this half-ass renovation, pour quarter of a billion dollars into it, um, instead of just, you know, doing the whole thing up front? Yes. Last thing I want to say on this. So, 
the clock is officially ticking on the Cavs arena situation now. Their lease is up after 2027. The Browns lease at First Energy Stadium is up after 2028. The Indians have their lease up after 2023, although they just sunk a bunch of money into their own renovations over Progressive Field. Um, so I don't really think 2023 is going to be a real issue. I don't think they'd want to turn around and start doing anything stadium-wise that quickly after that. But the there there's a caveat in their lease agreement that they can sign up for a they have the option of enacting a series of I think five-year renewals so they probably won't be an issue in 2023 but they could have their first renewal completed at 2028 so that 2027 to 28 window you could have all three teams with their leases up and all of them with their handout looking for new stadiums or arenas and I think we're probably going to be looking at a real serious headache for the city and the county and the region about 10 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Um, they're going to kind of be in a bind. And the fact that they line up as closely as they do, I think is a big, big cause of that. Cause you can't, you can't realistically expect to do all that at once. And they, they kind of did with the queue in uh, Jacobs field, obviously back in the mid nineties. And what happened? They lost the goddamn Browns because of it. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's a hundred percent going to be front of mind, but let's be honest here too. Cleveland's not Cleveland's in, in an okay position. They're better than they were in recent memory. Um, they don't have the I don't think they have the capital or the leverage to to do any sort of lofty complete rebuild of everything everything in the city basically. Three new stadiums all at right. once. Yeah. I don't think that's feasible at all. Um so you kinda have to look and see this it's there's gonna be some uncomfortable conversations and I, I guess I don't I don't want to project out a decade from now, but uh, don't be surprised if, if these threats start getting thrown around. Yep. All right. Well, um, let's talk Buckeyes. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. So this is uh, this is more your jurisdiction than mine. I, I like watching the Buckeyes, but I think you're much more dialed in than I am. So uh, I'm going to be hitting you with a bunch of questions here. And the first one that I want to hit you with, I understand the TV rules everything, so that explains why the Buckeyes are opening their season on a Thursday night, but can you explain to me why Ohio State is opening with Indiana in a Big Ten game in week one? Why they're opening with Indiana? Not really. Um, Well, I guess sort of. The biggest reason was a couple years ago the league decided um, they sort of punt away that opening weekend. Um, we've seen in the past and we see it again this year. Um, there's always a couple marquee games, uh, that happen that first week of the season out this year. It's Alabama, Florida state and Alabama has been that team, um, quite a bit in recent memory. They've had a lot of these, um, two year series with pretty decent teams. We saw them doing with Michigan a while back. 
Um, USC. Like I said, it's Florida State this year. USC they did it with. Um, where they do – they don't do the home and home, which is what a lot of teams do. Um, they do a neutral site, and it's always at some big big stadium, and they make a big hoopla out of it. This year it happened to line up probably better than Alabama had expected because Florida State is projected – they're the number three team in the country. They're going to be pretty damn good this year. Um, historically, Alabama's kind of lucked out and gotten these teams that are marquee names on down seasons. Um, like when they played at Michigan, Michigan was trash. Um, so they kind of look viewers lucked out. Alabama probably didn't get what they wanted because Alabama doesn't really like to be challenged. Um, <laughs> I'm going to, I'll, I'll just say it. They don't like, they don't like bringing the heat. <laughs> yeah. I'll just say it. Let's be honest. Um, they, they obviously get challenged plenty in their conference. They do not, they go out and add marquee names occasionally, but they do not, they rarely play really good teams in their prime um, in the non-conference schedule. Um, so what I think the Big Ten's logic was, was we want people talking about the Big Ten right away. We don't want to wait three, four weeks for conference play to start for people to start looking at the Big Ten. So what they did this year was um, obviously Ohio State is opening with Ohio State far and away the marquee program in the Big Ten. I don't care what Michigan fans think. I don't care what Penn State fans think. Uh, Ohio State is is the name in the Big Ten. So they're able to get them on an unconventional night, but because it's opening weekend, no one's really going to care. Football fans are going to tune in. Um, they're going to have the TV all to themselves, and they're going to be on national TV. Now, it's sort of weird that they're on the road at Indiana because if you've ever seen an Indiana game, um, not the most photogenic stadium, um, doesn't show up great on TV, but I will tell you, it will be full of Indiana's colors. It'll just be Ohio state fans wearing them. (laughs) Um, it's funny because every two years, Indiana takes their picture for their, uh, media guide, uh, on the Ohio state game because the state (laughs) is finally full of red. Really? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> swear to God, it's the only time they can get the stadium full of people wearing red. Um, so that's the reason for it. They just want a little bit of exposure. They don't want that early season narrative to be about the Youngstown States of the world and you know the random MAC teams that they schedule. And God what? bless the MAC. But <laughs> let me ask you: did, did the Big Ten add a conference game this year as well? They did. Okay, so that has to play a part in this as well, right? Yeah, so they used to play eight. Now they play nine Big Ten games, um, which is sort of interesting because it means that half the teams are going to have a lops. Well, both teams will have a lopsided schedule, but one will be at a disadvantage with four home games and five road games. Um, So that's sort of weird and sort of an adjustment, but... It also sort of eliminates one of those cupcakes that we've seen teams generally schedule. Um, Historically, teams will only play like one, I'll I'll just call it a power five, like a premier power five type team. Ohio State's had a few of them. This year they have Oklahoma. Um, Historically, teams only schedule one of those. And they got three kind of, you know, warm-up games, for lack of a better term. And again, I don't want to denigrate those teams, but let's let's just be honest about who the haves and have-nots are of the, you know, of college football. Um, for the teams like Ohio State and Michigan's and Penn State's, that works out fine. For the teams, you know, the lower level Big Ten teams, those games can turn out to be really good games. But in general, they've had those four games to work with. 
The other downside to this beyond the lopsided schedule is the revenue. So a team like Ohio State, I can't really put a number on it. I don't know exactly how much money they make from it. Um, but losing a home game for an Ohio State is a big deal. That's a lot of revenue. That's why they'll, why they'll pay uh, like a Miami of Ohio or Toledo or Akron or someone like that a million bucks just to come play them at their stadium because they make that much more money off of it. So a bigger factor than the lopsided home away scheduling is the revenue portion. Ohio State doesn't really have to worry about that. I think for probably and, and the thing is the other teams that that you know probably do lose all out, out on that revenue aren't doing great in the first place in revenue. There's not many teams that make a lot of money off of football. Ohio State is lucky and they're one of them. Um, but I was surprised to see this change go through and it increased to nine games late because of that difference. Every other year, you're basically guaranteed that you're going to lose a game, um, that you're going to have a, you know, a home game taken away from you that you could normally fill. Um, because in the past, when teams had those four non-conference games, they could fill those all with home games if they wanted to. There's time, there's been seasons where Ohio State played eight home games in a 12-game schedule. Um, not going to be able to do that anymore. Um, so that's just sort of the way it is, I guess. Okay. Um, and that was sort of the biggest reason to me that I that I was surprised they changed that. The one thing I will say that I like about this is that it, that obviously you already play everybody in your own division. This is going to guarantee at least one more crossover game every year. And for me, I think that's kind of good because it means Ohio State's going to play at least one more actual Big Ten team because they're always stuck playing Rutgers in Maryland, which will just never become normal to me, no matter how long those teams are in the Big Ten. So whether it's getting uh, Indiana on your schedule or Northwestern more often or uh, who else is over there, Purdue and Minnesota, uh, I don't know. That's more Big Ten football to me. Uh, so as a traditionalist and somebody who watched Big Ten games every Saturday afternoon growing up, I, I think that's kind of cool. But you make a good point about the uh, the schedule imbalance and losing a home game. Um. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the Buckeyes and and the roster and just what they're looking like this year. Um, you know, it, it, we saw quite a bit last year. At times, the offense would kind of stall out. Obviously, that became a the big issue in the Fiesta Bowl. They got blanked by Clemson. Um, some changes on the coaching staff. First, on the offensive side, can you just kind of outline for us? Who uh, who's in, who's out, uh, and what kind of difference that's going to make on the field this year? What's going to look different? Yeah, so the thirty-one zero loss to Clemson. I honestly think I'm not going to say Urban Meyer liked it, but I think it gave him a little extra leeway that he may not have. Uh, may not have otherwise had to make some major shakeups in his coaching staff. Most notably, um, got rid of their old off- offensive coordinator Tim Beck is now gone. Um, they brought in Kevin Wilson, who ironically is the former Indiana head coach. Uh, it, was, it was it's actually funny this week in the in the the weekly like press meeting he had. Um, they asked him about Indiana and he said, you know, they've played us pretty well the last few years, us now being Ohio state and they, 
being Indiana when he was coaching them. So, <laughs> so, so, so sort of a humble brag to, yeah, we played pretty well when I was coaching. Um, so that was kind of funny. Um, but in general, uh, Tim Beck obviously is now gone. Put in Kevin Wilson as offensive coordinator. Um, that's going to be a big shakeup. And I don't think Kevin Wilson was a very good head coach. I do think he has the potential to be a hell of an offensive coordinator. So I do think you'll see a drastic improvement there. Ryan Day is now the uh, quarterback's coach as well. So he gets to um, take the reins for uh, three-time captain JT Barrett, who has sort of left a lot of people scratching his head since um, since the 2014 national title season where he was a top five finisher for the Heisman looked like, you know, this guy's going to be nothing but lights out for the next four years. Um, they had the weird quarterback sort of battle for lack of a better term in 2015 last year. He just never really seemed comfortable. Uh, I do think a lot of that is on the wide receivers they had last year. They were inexperienced and no one ever really stepped up. We thought it was going to be Noah Brown after that breakout Oklahoma game he had. And then he for somehow inexplicably disappeared for the rest of the year. Um, and I think that's going to be the biggest key this year is the wide receiver position. They're, they're talent. They're Ohio state. They're talented. They're top one or two recruiting class every year. They bring in five-star guys at every position. They're deep as hell. Every guy in theory should be good. Um, obviously that doesn't always happen. Wide receiver was their biggest position of need last year. No one ever really stepped up and took the reins. Um, that's going to be a big factor this year. Hopefully some, one of those guys do. Um, they've got a lot of names that no one really recognizes, honestly. Um, you're going to folks that are tuning in on, uh, Thursday, tomorrow evening, you're going to hear names that you're like, who the hell is this guy? Austin Mack is a guy to look out for. He is a sophomore, decent size, not a huge guy, but pretty good. Um, He's one of those guys they're really hoping will step up. Johnny Dixon is one of these guys who's been around for a long time. Um, he's a name that people thought was going to break out right away, um, and he just never really got there. Injuries sort of slowed him down quite a bit. So uh, look for those two guys to be pretty good. Uh, Benjamin Victor is a guy that we saw some last year. Um, you'll see him quite a bit. He'll be sort of that third receiver. Um, and then there's a couple freshmen then as well that, that may get some reps. Um but truthfully, Ohio State's so deep at every position that you have to be a really damn good underclassman to get on the field um, because the guys that are ahead of you are just as highly ranked by the recruiting services. They're just as talented, but they've been here two, three years, and they've been doing it. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. If you're one of these people who follows recruiting and you're wondering, hey, why can't so-and-so get on the field? It's like, well, did you follow recruiting last year? Because that guy was just as good, and he's got an extra year in the system. Um, so that's going to be interesting to see, I think. Wide receiver is the position that I say to keep my uh, – that concerns me the most, I will say, is is that position. And I sort of went off of the, of the coaching tangent there, but um, <laughs> that's where I say to look there's a lot of people that seem concerned about JT Barrett. I'm not the least bit concerned about JT Barrett. Um, maybe that's me being a homer. Maybe I'm a little biased. I think he'll be fine. Um, the running game should be really good. Mike Weber is here. Um, the offensive line is loaded, so he'll, he'll be able to do his thing. Um, we'll see if I think Paris Campbell right now is the guy who is the favorite 
to jump in and fill that Curtis Samuel role. role. But um, another name to look out for, if you watched last year, there was a guy named Demario McCall who um, got a, a fa- not a lot of touches. But it seemed like every time he touched the ball, did something kind of interesting. You're like, oh, who's this guy? So he'll he'll get his chance to sort of step out and, you know, make his name known as well. All right. So any uh, any other familiar faces? I mean, we've referenced JT a few times, and uh, obviously you've got a lot of newcomers here that you're rattling off. Any other uh, stalwarts from last year, maybe even on the defensive side that we should be looking for? The defensive line is going to be insanely good. Um, I heard someone today say that if you took Ohio State's four best defensive ends, any of them could go on to you know, maybe except for like in Alabama, every one of them would be the best defensive end on any other team in the country. Ohio State has four of those. And he's the, the, the guy isn't exaggerating. Uh, Taekwon Lewis, who was sort of rumored like he might leave and go to the draft, is coming back. He had a ton of sacks this year. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but he got to the quarterback a ton. Um, Sam Hubbard, same type of guy. He reminds me a little bit of... Um, John Simon, he's bigger. He's built a little better. Uh, physically, he's a little better, but he has that same sort of motor. He seems to get to the quarterback really well. Um, but sort of doesn't really look like an end to me. It looks really athletic and, and built. But um, Tracy Sprinkle, who's a guy from Elyria, he's a tackle. He sort of plays in the middle. Joey Bosa's little brother, Nick, should have a breakout year. He's going to be nuts. Um, there's a freshman named Chase Young who – you you won't know you won't really know the name unless you follow recruiting. Um, he is, I think he's gonna be. I don't know if he'll be really good right away, but he's one of those guys who probably around by the middle of the season, you're gonna be looking at him like, where the hell's this kid been? He's nuts. He he could be that type Joey Bosa type who is really good, basically from from the get-go and you get three great years out of him and then he goes top five in the draft he's that good Mm. um so as far as young guys on the defensive line go that's the name to look for chase young um the defensive backfield could have a couple young guys in it as well um jeffrey kuda who he is a incoming freshman he was a five-star guy really highly rated kid um he's gonna get some run uh sean wade is another one um He'll get out there quite a bit. I don't think you're really going to recognize too many of the names in the defensive backfield. Uh, Damon Webb's a guy who's been around for, for a while, so he'll be pretty solid. Um, but a lot of the guys that you probably saw coming in like, you know, nickel packages are guys that were in the two deep but were, you know, overshadowed by the Malik Hookers and, and those guys. So... they always say Ohio state doesn't, you know, they reload, they don't rebuild. And it seems like this is one of those teams that is sort of built that way. Uh, A lot of guys who you've been hearing about and are just really finally going to get their chance to step up and do something. Feels like the Buckeyes are the team to beat in the big 10, which, which, which of any team uh, other than Ohio state, do you see making some noise and posing the biggest threat to the Buckeyes uh, winning the conference? (sighs) Posing the biggest threat to the Buckeyes, uh, in, a lot of people are probably going to say Michigan. I think Michigan's too young. They lost 18 starters. 
Um, they're they are rebuilding. They are restocking. They're talented, but they're really young. They don't have much, you know, much leadership at all. And as young as Ohio State is, they have a lot of guys who have played a lot of snaps. Um, Michigan doesn't really have that, so I, I'm not going to say Michigan. Um, Penn State, I'm hesitant as well. Um, they've they lost a few of their their big names. They do have Saquon Barkley, who's probably the best offensive player in the league. He's, I think he's right up there with as good as Ezekiel Elliott was. Um, maybe not quite the pass blocker, but as an offensive threat, does everything that Zeke did. Um, you probably watched him at some point last year light people up. Um, he's a hell of a player. He's going to be one of those. He'll be the first, probably the first running back off the board next year. And he'll be a, if, if the trend continues of teams drafting running backs early, um, he'll be that guy that everyone's talking about beyond that. I don't, I don't really know. Honestly, I don't, I don't. And this is sort of how I always am. I don't, I don't really look at anyone as that serious of a threat. Um, Michigan state's going to bounce back, but, they're not really going to be a legitimate threat. They're going to be okay. Uh, but they were got awful last year somehow. Um, so who knows? They could be. Nebraska is not going to be a threat to Ohio state, but they're a team that I think people kind of overlook and they could bounce back. I think they could have a solid year. They could be like a nine win team. Um, that sort of sneaks up on people who have, has kind of been getting counted out. Wisconsin should be good because their schedule is a cakewalk. They uh they were able to avoid um, Ohio State, which if you're in the other division, that's you know that's you want to play good teams, but if you don't have to play Ohio State, you're probably not going to complain about it. Um, they avoided Ohio State, they avoided Penn State, they avoided Michigan State, so they got a pretty good draw in terms of the conference schedule. The only other t- the only team from uh, Big Ten that's really going to be a threat to them, I think, is is uh Michigan. So. In theory, Wisconsin would be the safe bet for the team that Ohio State's going to play in the title game. Do I really think Wisconsin is a threat to Ohio State, though? No, not really. I was going to say, with just getting back to Penn State for a minute, you know, the thing for them is, I mean, they're going to have to play Ohio State this year in Columbus. And considering that they were the only team that gave Ohio State a loss in the regular season last year, and it was kind of a wonky finish, uh, I kind of imagine that that's going to be a game that Ohio State has circled on the calendar. So if you're looking for somebody to beat Ohio State in the East Division, uh, that that's going to really put Penn State behind the eight ball, I would assume. Yeah. Um, also, something to think about. Not only um, – yeah, they're going to obviously have revenge on their minds, so that's, that's just the way that goes. Um, you beat them. And they kind of got lucky last year with how things fell against them. Um, but this year, not only is Ohio state, um, off the week before, so Ohio state will have two weeks to get ready for it. Mm. Um, Penn state is coming off their game against Michigan the week before they play Michigan and Ohio state in back to back weeks. Um, so not only will Ohio state have two weeks of rest and game planning on them, they will just have gotten done playing their second hardest game of the season. Wow. All right. Outside the big 10, any storylines got your attention? What are you looking forward to? What are you keeping an eye on? Uh, Alabama Florida State's going to be one of the best early season games we've seen in a long time um, to open with. That's going to be a hell of a game. If you are a pure college football fan, it's exactly what you want, and it's a great way to start the season. 
Um, Are they playing that at Jerry World, or is that in Atlanta? Um, I believe it's at, I believe, yeah, it's in Atlanta. It's at okay, the, so the I new think stadium. It's Mercedes-Benz Stadium or something. Um, whatever that new stadium is, yeah, that the Falcons are going to play in. Okay. Um, so that's going to be a hell of a game. Alabama's going to be good. I don't know if they're going to be great. I'm still not sold on their quarterback, and for whatever reason, for his name's escaping me at the moment. Um, he was decent enough for them last year, but I just don't know that, um, I don't know that you'll see a whole lot of improvement. I think last year might have been his ceiling. Um USC is a team that everybody's talking about because of Sam Darnold and because of how good he was last year. Um, he lost uh, both of his uh, tackles from his offensive line and his top two receivers. So just expecting that they're going to plug and play that offense and he's going to be just as good as last year, I think could be, they might be over overhyping him a little bit. He's going to be really good. I don't know if that team's going to be that great. Um, personally, I'm most interested to see how Oklahoma looks not only because they're playing Ohio State Week 2, but because they're replacing Bob Stoops, who'd been there since the late 90s, been there forever. Um, he stepped down at a real weird time of the year, too. Really weird time. Like, yeah, everything around this didn't make a whole lot of sense to everybody. They're just, it, it, I think it just kind of snuck up on people, and they had to sort of, I'm not going to say they had to hurry to fill it because they just used their uh, offensive coordinator and plugged him in, but um, it's just one of those teams you want to see, you know, if they keep things going. I'm eager to see how Tom Herman looks at Texas um, because of his Ohio State connection, obviously. Um, what else? I mean, I'm sort of a college football junkie, so this is sort of what I get into more than most people. Um, <laughs> I, I know probably most of the people listening want to know what's going on with uh, the Browns quarterback situation or whatever, but um, I think for your money – Saturday, a Saturday full of college football is as good as it gets, in my opinion. Um, so I'm just ready to get the season started. I, I'm on the fence about this Thursday, Thursday night start for Ohio State. Um, but I'm not going to complain too much about it. They get the national stage for a day. They get two extra days to uh, game plan and rest up for Oklahoma. Um, so that is what it is. I'm not going to complain too much about that. It's a little weird, but God bless them. Do we know who's broadcasting that game? Uh calling it yeah i do not know all right uh but they're doing the uh they're doing that like mega cast that they do for um like national championship games and shit so you'll have you'll have everybody you want um they'll be on about three or four different channels most likely okay uh okay yeah so that's an espn game it's on espn but yeah they'll also be on uh, ESPN two, ESPN U, ESPN News. Uh, well, they're doing all that. That's got to be the A. They're doing everything. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. It is. I'm honestly just not 100 percent sure who that even is this year. Well, I would assume it's probably Fowler and Herb Street. And Herb Street, I would think so. Fowler might. Um, I mean, I know Fowler also does the U.S. Open tennis, so I don't know if he like takes a few days off from that. But anyway, I was I was wondering. I thought this might be a Fox game because you know Fox has got. Uh, the Big Ten this year, for the most part, or, or they've got a huge part of the Big Ten TV package this season, and I think they get the first pick of games for most weeks. And I do know, they already announced this, that Fox is going to have the Ohio State-Michigan game at the end of the year, and Gus Johnson will be calling that. So, Well, <laughs> as, as far as the things that Fox Sports can do right, that's probably number one on the list. Um, there's, I don't know that there is a number two. Uh, 
but there's few things I enjoy more than a Gus Johnson called game. Uh, I did find out as well, Fowler will be calling U.S. Open tennis. Dave Fleming will have the Ohio State-Indiana game with Herb Street. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll make do with Dave Fleming. <laughs> yeah, God bless him, right? Uh, I, I have to admit, I, I can't even say for sure, but I have to imagine game day is going to be at Bama, Florida State. I don't know that for 100% positive, but yeah. I would guess to, the game I, I, that, I know I have to. Musburger just retired, but this would be a fine time to bring him out and start the season off properly. But I guess <laughs> it's a new day, and we got to move yeah. on and let yeah, him uh, run his gambling retired, radio show in the desert. Retired to the desert. <laughs> Let me tell you something, folks. <laughs> Crazy son of a bitch. Yeah. He could tell you the line, though. <laughs> sure about that. He might not be able to tell you anything else about that game, but he could tell you the line. And he'll tell you without actually telling you who he's on uh, as far as that line no. goes. So. Oh, yeah. He'll sneak it in there at the end. But um, <laughs> No, it's back to Ohio State really quickly. I think it's going to be an exciting season. Um, obviously, they're ranked number two in the country. They're... Uh, they've got questions like anybody else does, but as far as talent goes, they've got as much talent as anybody. So if you tune in Thursday, you'll probably hear a few new names, and it'll be a good primer to get ready for the rest of the season. Well, I'll tell you what, man, you, you've got me ready to go. I mean, I always love watching college football anyway, but now I feel like I, I understand everything that's uh, coming. I've, I've been properly prepared, and uh, it's good stuff. This has been fun. Yeah, just grab the uh... – Grab the roster, print yourself off a depth chart or something like that so you can refer to these these new faces that you haven't seen before. Um, get familiar. It'll be, a, it'll be a fun season, I'm sure of that. Um, I think Ohio State's in the driver's seat right now to probably get another playoff bid, and hopefully it turns out a little better than last year. <laughs> yeah, we'll, uh, we'll see. It's going to be a fun year. So uh, anything else before we shut it down? That's about all I had. What do you got? Quickly, uh, I'm just going to say shout out to the Indians. Um, I feel like we probably should have talked about them, but we had so much other stuff going on this week uh, that we didn't really get a chance to. But they finished off the sweep of the Yankees today. First time they swept a series in New York since 1989. Uh, this was supposed to be the toughest part wow. of their schedule. And I they're, knew they... they're 19 and 9 this month with half their roster on the disabled list. And uh, they are kicking ass, and they have completely taken control of the Central Division, and they are not far away from uh, contending for the number one seed in the American League for the playoffs. So yeah, a couple of weeks ago, we were, we were just talking. You know, Houston's got the number one spot locked up. And they were, I think, they were seven or eight games ahead of the Tribe, maybe even more than that. Now it's down to three. So don't look now. Here come your Indians. Yeah, it's awesome. They're they're doing a hell of a job, and it's been fun. And I think we're going to have a real fun stretch run there for them, especially once uh, all these guys come back uh, and and get worked back into the uh, the lineup and the rotation and the bullpen and everything else. So hats off to the tribe getting it done. Yeah, no kidding. And right now, it seems like every guy that goes out there and pitches um, wants to make that playoff roster. Obviously. They can't all do it. They're not all going to get starts, but every guy is giving you quality uh, quality outings, it seems like, anymore. So that's nice to see, too. Every guy's stepping up, even these these guys like Merritt, who kind of just get called up, and they're like, all right, we need you to throw tomorrow, or whatever the case is. Um, they're answering the call, and they're doing well. Trevor Bauer, big ups. Uh, obviously, he's been taking a lot of shit over the last few months, just because he's been not very good over the last 
month and a half. I think he had like one one rough outing, and other than that, he's been pretty lights out. So if he can keep that up, um, I don't think anybody wants to play the Indians in the playoffs. No, a lot of a uh, lot of well qualified uh, pitchers there making a case. It's a good problem to have. So yeah, for sure. All right, um, we'll talk more about the Indians here in the next coming weeks because I have a feeling things will be coming back down to earth with the Browns in reality I'll be setting in soon enough but uh, back down to earth what do you got them up you got them like all these lofty goals right now that are going to get crushed oh they're, they're at least this is the time of the year where they're at least interesting so um, anyway we'll see but uh, hey listen uh, if, you, if you're uh, enjoying our show and you haven't done so already make sure you go subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Google Play if you're an Android user, or we're on Stitcher as well. And uh, don't be afraid to leave us a review on whatever app you're listening to us on. Uh, that helps us uh, get the word out about our show as well. But definitely subscribe. And uh, you can like our Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash the nail podcast. I put up a link yesterday, I believe. Uh, it was a super cut of LeBron highlights from this past season. So there's about seven and a half minutes of dunks and ridiculous passes and all of uh, the other good LeBron things that we got from the past year. So uh, that was a lot of fun. Go check that out. And uh, if you want to go dig into the archives and listen to any of our old episodes, you can stream them all on our website, which is thenailpodcast.com. Uh, Trev, it's been uh, it's been a fun week. A lot going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And football is uh, actual football is going to be back this week. So, God bless. Uh, I'm I'm ready that, for yeah, it. Absolutely, absolutely. All right. Enjoy the opening weekend in college. Um, don't bother with the pre- game four of the preseason. The Browns watch Ohio State. Watch something worth watching, people. Don't do it to yourselves. I I co-sign that. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. So. There you have it, folks. All right. So for Travis Julie, I'm Tom Valentino. It's been the nail in the coffin, and we will talk to you again soon. Hi, listeners. We wanted to take a moment to tell you about another podcast from Evergreen Podcasts and Sound Talent Media called Pit Lane Parlay. Pit Lane Parlay is the go-to podcast for IndyCar and motorsports-related news. Each episode, we discuss things like our favorite drivers, news clips from the last week, and generally giving each other a hard time about predictions we've made in the past and or life stories that have come up recently. We really have a lot of fun with it and really enjoy each other's company, and we hope you can come join us too. Join Pit Lane Parlay by following us on your favorite podcast today.